right, thanks, Scott Shannon, and thanks to all of you for being with us. Happy Friday. Write down our toll-free telephone number. We'd love to have you join us. It's 800. It's 941 Sean. If uh, I'm well, plenty of time for calls today. Big win in the New York Supreme Court by Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. I mean, this is huge in terms of of the case uh, and the court decision showing that there actually is a case to be made for malice. It's such a high bar if you're a public figure. And yeah, and I live this life every day. People can pretty much say anything they want about me and get away with it because you have to prove reckless disregard, actual malice based on a landmark Supreme Court case, New York Times versus Sullivan. And that this case will now move forward into the discovery phase as a result of this court ruling. This is now the second loss in a row for The New York Times. I have to talk to my lawyers again. It's time. Uh, But anyway, thanks for being with us. Um, Very interesting. It's funny how, so last night on Hannity, we run these pictures from the Daily Mail. I have been briefed by sources that Hunter's laptop, it's only the beginning. Now, there was the Bobolinsky interview that took place on Fox with Tucker, and then we interviewed the the repair store owner, Isaac Mack is his name, great guy. And he was so alarmed by what he saw on, on Hunter's laptop that he alerted the FBI about it. And I have been briefed by people that I trust sources that I trust completely that have actually seen the contents of what's on Hunter's laptop. And besides the things that we already know, about, you know, putting 10 aside for the big guy and the the pictures that we first saw Hunter laying in bed with a crack pipe in his mouth, et cetera. Then the pictures that were released by the Daily Mail yesterday, I'm told that there's even a lot more. Let's put it this way. I've only been told by my lawyers because I wanted to take possession of a copy that's even been offered to me and that I've been told legally I cannot without putting myself in legal jeopardy based on the contents that sources tell me are on the laptop. I mean, okay, so the question is, remember this, think of the impact this had in the lead up to the 2020 election. Big tech made the decision they did not want to cover. They they weren't even going to go with the reporting of the New York Post, America's fourth largest newspaper. New York Post has never backed off its story at all, not one iota. And for all of Hunter's interviews that he's been giving, I'm not sure if it's my laptop. Well, we already know that Hunter's lawyer went back to the repair shop and said, we'd like to get Hunter's laptops back. And if you look at the signatures, it's pretty obvious, seems that it's Hunter's laptop. Uh, But what was interesting, the Daily Mail is a fascinating website. If you haven't been there much, it really is. I mean, there's so much stuff. Linda, have you ever noticed when you go to the Daily Mail? I mean, they've got the lead stories, and then they have like a million sidebar stories. There's so much content on the Daily Mail. It's a lot. You get sucked. Do you get sucked in? I get sucked in every time. A lot of it, though, is about famous people that I don't know who they are. Yeah, well, you and I both are probably guilty of not knowing a lot or following a lot about pop culture, but there's there's enough there that there's something that's going to interest you. I I promise you, 
or or hit your curiosity bone in some way. That doesn't happen to you? Oh, for sure it does. Like TMZ is the same thing. They always, it's like they suck you in. Um, and I try not to get lost because I want to be focused in, on the things that we're going to be discussing on this program every day and put the best show on the air as possible. You know, it's one of the reasons, and I'll get into this with James O'Keefe later when he when he joins us with this huge decision by the New York Supreme Court, is that, you know, it's it does at times get very, very frustrating because if you're a public figure and you have this high bar that when somebody lies about you and they do so and you know they do it purposefully and they totally, completely, utterly distort what you're saying and they're slandering you and they're libeling you and smearing you and besmirching you, I I get a part of it is is it's in the job description in terms of my chosen profession here. But then there's another part of me, you get sick and tired of being lied about and, and a part of me just wants to fight back. The problem for me is, is that when when you get engaged in in any of these these legal tie ups and it's a strategy the left uses on top of the threat of boycott strategy and cancel culture strategy and wokeness strategies and, you know, recording every second, every minute of every hour of every broadcast day for the last however many decades of my life and people get paid to sit in their basement in their underwear and and literally their job that they get paid for is to listen to this show in the hopes that they can distort something, slice, dice or take a word or a sentence or a phrase out of context and say Hannity said this in the hopes of getting me canceled, boycotted, whatever, because they just don't like my point of view and they just don't believe in freedom and liberty and differing viewpoints and the free and open exchange of ideas and ideals and opinions. And and I do. That's why I don't support boycotts. But anyway, I digress. But if you get involved in a lawsuit, it ends up taking away too much of my time and energy. And, and then you've got the discovery phase. Then you got the deposition phase. Then you got the court dates. Then you got as soon as I get involved in that mess. Now I'm taking my eye off the ball, which is I want to be on the air. You give me these airwaves three hours a day, every day, and I want to do the best job I'm capable of doing. I owe that to every one of you that listen every day. And I owe that on television every night. And I take that responsibility. I don't take myself seriously, um, but I take my work seriously. And I we do work hard at what we do. And we want to put on the best shows we can and give you information. We know you're not going to get elsewhere and and I, I think that's been a big part of the reason for the success of the show. And you put your faith and, and confidence in us. So I don't I don't like to take my eye off the ball. I don't want to be distracted. And I've learned to kind of filter all this out and compartmentalize it away. And I do know that many colleagues of mine, they're just incapable of doing it. And, and one bad negative word or article, and they just melt like Alka-Seltzer in water. And I'm like, man, you got to toughen up if you're going to be in this business because you're going to get hit. I mean, it's part of the job description. You know, you give your opinions, you're going to get hit back. I'm way beyond the point of really caring at this point. Now, there are times it does frustrate me because you, know you know it's slander. You know it's libel you know that it's just completely made up and untrue. And, you know, I, I, you just kind of roll with the punches a little bit, but then there are times you just want to fight back. Anyway, now the UK Daily Mail, back to Hunter, 
His laptop from hell published photos of him. You know, we saw the picture of him with the crack pipe in his mouth and him telling the story in his book that he's apparently digging through the carpets and hotels uh, looking for maybe little little pieces of crack that fell in the carpet and he thinks he smoked more Parmesan cheese than anyone on the planet. I mean, that's insane. One was, you know, some of the pictures were with uh, women. Not particularly, if the last name were Trump, I think this would be a much bigger story with the media mob. Big tech, of course, hid the whole story before the election. Uh, and then you've got a picture with what they call meth mouth. If you do enough of this, these drugs, they just destroy your teeth. It looked like that in the picture that the Daily Mail printed and based on his own admission of being a, a drug addict. Um, but enough to shock the conscience. But there's more to come. And that's the story. The Daily Mail is promising more to come. Now, based on my sources, which I'll never reveal as a member of the press, and what I've been told does exist, haven't seen, but I've been told by people I believe, that the more to come is bad, really bad. Hunter not only used the laptop to videotape a lot of this stuff, posing for these pictures and videos, et cetera, et cetera, the Daily Mail used their words. They said, you know, how Hunter blew hundreds of thousands on prostitutes, drugs, luxury cars, leaving him scrambling to avoid jail for 320 grand in unpaid taxes. How five members of the Biden family have been to rehab for drug alcohol abuse and a stunning admission by Joe to his son. The other Biden family member planning to buy and cook crack after you know, falling into the disastrous addiction, apparently with Hunter and Hunter's unconventional, unlikely relationship with a his well-known psychiatrist, the whispered bedroom conversation. You know, just it's just it's it's kind of tawdry and it is tabloidy all the above. But there's another legal aspect of this, which which I find interesting. And, you know, when you when you add, for example, things that have been confirmed publicly by Rudy Giuliani, who according to reports, has a copy of this, described the most explosive laptop contents. And he did it before the November election. I'm not going to repeat them here because I think over time it's just going to come out on its own and I'll let, I'll let that process unfold on its own. Jonathan Turley, though, makes a great point today in light of these adventures and you know, in light of Joe Biden bypassing Congress unconstitutionally of co-equal branch of government. But he points out that Biden is announcing yesterday unilateral gun control measures in the in the Rose Garden based on some lies. He even got caught lying again. We're going to now begin to chronicle all of Joe's lies. But what is notable is with all of this, the inclusion of a provision that relates directly to the allegations raised against Hunter Biden. And frankly, his admission in one of these interviews, oh, yeah, yeah, my uh, my girlfriend, I guess it was the wife of his brother that he was dating at the time that he urged Joe to put a seal of approval on. Joe apparently resistant towards the idea, but did it anyway. But the idea, you know, oh, yeah, she, I, I told her you can't throw it in the garbage. That's not the problem. Possible federal felonies, you know, in as much as blacked out by recent media coverage, and Biden is giving the Justice Department a 60-day period to develop a model of what they call red flag legislation that would allow friends, family members to identify an individual as a potential danger 
thereby temporarily preventing the person from accessing a firearm. Well, that could well be called the Hunter Biden law since he acquired this handgun despite his longstanding drug and alcohol abuse. And in 2018, when that gun was tossed into the trash bin by his the widow of his deceased brother, after the death of his brother, he began this relationship with the wife of his of his brother, then wife. Now, I guess you could say deceased brother. Um, He began this relationship, apparently became concerned about what to do with the gun. Apparently, they lied on the gun application about his previous drug use. Now, Turley's right in all of this. In many ways, her action reflected the need for such laws, he points out. But in desperation, she throws the gun away in a garbage bin close to a school to get the revolver back. Biden answered no on the firearms transaction record that asked whether he was an unlawful user of or addicted to narcotic drugs or any other controlled substances. And lying on a federal form would lead to the prosecution under several provisions. The U.S. Code makes it a crime punishable by up to 10 years in prison if you make false, fictitious, oral, or written statements to obtain firearms. I guess only if your last name would be Hannity, or Stone, or Manafort, or Flynn, or Papadopoulos. You get my point? Or Trump. All right, as predicted, uh, Joe Biden has ordered a study on packing the United States Supreme Court executive order to form a commission to study reforms to the court. It was interesting. Justice Breyer this week said, yeah, bad idea. You will be it'll be viewed as politicizing the court and people no longer have faith and trust and integrity in that supposedly other branch of government that we often use when there are conflicting issues with the executive and legislative branches. And he's right. I can't believe I'm saying that, but he is. Biden uh, now wants to expand the size of the high court. uh, And uh, the 36 member commission will be bipartisan. We are told, I doubt it. They'll hold public meetings to evaluate court reforms They will have 180 days to report their recommendations. This is called court packing. That's what it's called. It's a bad idea and expanding it. Anyway, we'll see what happens. We already know what they're what they want. We know that their quest, their thirst for unbridled power is is matched by nobody, which is why I think we're expected next week is when they're going to have their vote on D.C. statehood. Something you're going to want to get in touch with your probably your congressmen and senators about. Um, Now, the issue, multiple governors, by the way, are speaking out and good for them. I'll tell you where the battle is going to be fought in the courts by the state's attorneys general, which is why we've been putting a lot of them on this program, because they they are saying they're not going to put up with Biden's Second Amendment attack because it's out of control. And you got the Alaska governor saying these actions won't save uh, lives or stop criminals, would only disarm law-abiding citizens. Christy Nome, same thing. The Idaho governor, Brad Little, same thing. Uh, we have Governor Ducey out in Arizona, same thing. And so many others say they're not going to put up with it. And, you know, by the way, the infrastructure talks are off to a rocky start. Yeah, that means that nobody wants to pay $3 uh, trillion and then raise taxes $4 trillion. 
Quick break. Right back. A lot more news on the other side. All right, 25 to the top of the hour. A lot of calls coming up from you today. 800-941-SEAN. You want to know one of the dumber ideas that I've heard in a long time? That would be Apple CEO Tim Cook. He should stick to what he does best. Wanting people to be able to vote on their iPhones. I think we're probably all having the wrong conversation on voting rights. We, we should be talking about using technology. How can we make it so simple that our voting participation gets to 100? Mm-hmm. Or it gets really close to 100. Maybe we, maybe we get in the 90s or something. It's pretty arcane. Certainly. But when you introduce technology into voting, when it's already fraught with accusations of fraud, sort of a really troublesome stew, politically speaking. I'm not sure. It, it, may, it may answer some of the issues. It may be something that is so different than the current. So voting on phones? Is that what you're talking about? Or? You know, I would, I would dream of that because I, I think that's where we live. We do our banking on phones. We have our health data on phones. We have more information on, on a phone about us than is in our houses. Mm-hmm. And so why not? Why not? How do we know who's actually voting on the phone? Just just a little integrity issue, and how do you have confidence in the results of such? I know. I, maybe I'm just a little too suspicious of my old age that, you know, I actually think people would try to use a system like that to cheat. And we do need integrity and confidence in the results of our elections. By the way, we'll talk to the Secretary of State of Ohio. They've actually figured it out. In Ohio, they have a system, very little attention is given to it, where literally they have an audit paper trail with every single solitary vote. It's as secure as you could possibly make it. And I think other states can can learn from it. All right. So Biden orders the study on packing the Supreme Court. Um, the despite the 73 percent of Americans, according to a poll, uh are against slave reparations, 73%. A bill that could lead to these reparations took a big step forward today as the House Judiciary Committee scheduled it for a debate and a vote next week. That would create a commission to study reparations. Uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, the bill's sponsor, in a statement called the markup a major step forward. Something to pay attention to as we move forward with the most radical agenda in American history. I told you there's never been a political party like this. Now, they are apparently these bipartisan infrastructure package. Everything now is infrastructure, child care, infrastructure, green projects, infrastructure. Everything is infrastructure. No, it's not infrastructure. The definition of infrastructure is nothing like what Kirsten Gillibrand said it is. It just doesn't exist that way. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of resistance, even from from senators like Susan Collins, Bob Portman, uh, Shelley Moore Capito, uh, and and far beyond any traditional definition of of what infrastructure is. So we'll watch that closely. Now, there is a lot of pushback on this these six executive actions that Biden's moving forward with on the Second Amendment. First is um, he actually said the word no amendment is absolute. What does that even mean? The right of the people to keep and to bear arms shall not be infringed. Is that not an absolute right? 
you know, the right to worship as we choose, freedom of speech, freedom of, to practice our faith, religion, freedom of the press. Are they not absolute rights? I mean, is anybody in the media mob going to ask anybody? Biden goes, trust me, I'm not violating the Constitution with my gun orders. Oh, okay. With my gun control orders. I'm just going to take Joe's word for it. PolitiFact today uh, actually took on Joe's lies, exaggerating about background checks at gun shows. Biden made more false comments about guns. And then I see circle back. Jen Psaki had to circle back and then tap dance trying to clean up everything. A reporter said, is the president's belief that you don't have to underground go a background check when you go to a gun show? Uh, which is what he said. Oh, no, it's not his belief. Circle back. Jen Psaki said he believes the background check should be universal. And a lot of criticism of Merrick Garland uh, being at this presser on this whole thing, doubling down on stupidity, this idea that, you know, Biden's gun control claiming that an AR-15 pistol with a stabilizing brace is something that you can conceal. Now, by the way, as a side note here, firearms, this was in the Daily Wire, background checks are at a record high. Americans see what's coming and they're like racing to the local gun store to get firearms before all of these changes get put into place by the stroke of a pen. And and he wants to take it further, as we know, the president urging Congress to ban, quote, assault weapons, which they can't even define, and larger magazines but they don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, that's part of the problem is they, they their knowledge of of weapons is so limited and so low that they don't even really understand what it is that they're talking about. The idea that they say it's concealable, you know, the, they sent out this fact sheet. The alleged shooter in Boulder last month had a, a pistol with an arm brace, which could make a firearm more stable, more accurate while still being concealable. OK concealable in this context is probably misleading because while it's certain, yeah, AR pistols with a stabilizer can be concealed, what, in a backpack? In a big bag that you're carrying around? You're not going to be able to put it on your person the way you would a traditional pistol or a revolver. It's not concealable in that sense. I guess it depends on the definition of concealed. And then Biden making the claim that AR pistols are more lethal if they have a stabilizer brace, can you explain how the explanation for greater lethal, you know, being more lethal with the stabilizer brace? Because I don't quite understand that, because if you know how to shoot a weapon, it's the same bullet coming out of the same gun. So how is it more lethal? What, that you're going to make the claim it's more accurate or that the person will have better skills uh, because the way they said it didn't make any sense to me as a as a Second Amendment believer, enthusiast, gun believer, the right to keep and bear arms. And I always ask the same question. What are you going to do? Let's say you're one of these people that are deathly afraid of a firearm. What do you do? God forbid. And I don't want this to happen to anybody ever. But this is an evil world with evil people in it. That is a fact. We saw that. You know, we see it every day. Let's be honest. You see it every single day. What do you do if somebody breaks into your house or your business and you need to protect yourself and your loved ones and your family? What are you going to do? I know what I'm going to do. 
because I'm trained in the safety and use of a firearm. But what are other people going to do here? Anyway, that's, I guess, going to be a decision every person has to make. Um, Now, let me get to this. uh, We have some data now that has come out today on what is this unmitigated disaster at the border. Now, it is, by any definition, what is happening there is it's it's just pure abuse. These cages for kids that Biden keeps building because he says Trump stopped building the cages. Okay, well, he didn't you when he when you thought he was using your cages that he built with Obama, the media went insane showing footage of kids in cages when Biden was vice president. Now he's building more cages and lashing out at Trump. Trump's fault because he stopped building the cages. Okay, yeah, but he was securing the border with 450 feet of new wall. He, he created the stay in Mexico policy that Joe eliminated. And he didn't invite people the way Joe did to incentivize them to come, basically dangling amnesty, come here if you're seeking asylum. Well, they're listening and they're telling anybody that'll listen that I'm here because Joe, Joe said it's okay to come. And it is a dangerous, perilous journey, and you're dealing with really bad actors in the names of cartels, traffickers, coyotes, etc. But March is another record month for the Biden administration, and the Biden border surge now has broken the record for the most unaccompanied minors arriving in this country in history. The, the most ever. Children were only a fraction of the total of 172,331 illegal immigrant encounters by Homeland Security. At this time last year, it was 31,000. Now it's 172,000. And that's on top of the record set in February. These are March numbers. The number undercut Biden's assertion that the vast majority of families are being sent back. No, we've debunked that myth, too. Then nobody's being sent back. And here's something that should anger everybody. We now have Custom and Border Patrol press release Over 8,000 Border Patrol employees have now tested positive for COVID. Now, why is that? Because the high rate of positivity for COVID with illegal immigrants that Joe's letting in every day. Most of these employees in the press release were infected after they began caring for this deluge of illegal immigrants traveling to the U.S. as part of this Biden border surge. Now it's going to be a 20-plus year high of illegal immigrants. From the CPB, it says more than 8,300 CBP employees have now tested positive, Border Patrol, for COVID-19. 28 have died. 28 dead. The safety of our workplace, our communities, and individuals in our care is a top priority. CBP personnel put themselves and their families at risk with every encounter at the border. And as we pointed out, they hadn't even been offered the vaccine up to this point. I think they have in the last week, but throughout this entire surge, they hadn't. And now provide now all their resources now exhaustively used just to handle the surge, which then frees up the rest of the border for the human traffickers, the drug smugglers, the cartels and the gangs. Two thirds of voters give Biden rightly so a failing grade. By the way, what, when is Kamala, the borders are ever going to even get a briefing on any of this? The Epic Times points out 
Mark Burnovich, who's been on this program, Arizona Attorney General, said yesterday Kamala Harris never responded to his invitation to visit the border. Well, what the hell is she doing? How is there such a lack of urgency when the governor of Texas is saying that there's there's now there's there's now chronicled incidences of sexual abuse at Joe's border facilities? I mean, is that not going to motivate them to, to pay attention? Because we haven't heard a peep out of the mob in the media or any other Democrats. Imagine if Trump built these new cages for kids and that there were, was such overcrowding in the middle of a pandemic with a high rate of positive COVID, COVID positive rate, high rate of, of now Border Patrol getting COVID, and then rapes being reported at the facilities. What would the response be of the media mob and Democrats if Donald Trump were president? I don't think that's hard to figure out. We know what the response would be. We know, by the way, the federal government spending $60 million a week to pay for all of these unaccompanied minors that Joe has invited in. House Republicans are calling Joe the trafficker in chief. The situation's deteriorating even further and further and getting worse on, by the day. Republicans are demanding answers about these allegations of rape and child abuse. Look, look at the pictures. Try and run a daycare center the way Biden's cages look and see what happens to you. $60 million a week to take care of the unaccompanied minors. And still, Kamala's nowhere to be found. 275 U.S. sheriffs write that Biden has unleashed a predictable illegal immigration crisis. Housing minors is costing us a fortune. The situation is deteriorating more every day. I mean, it's unbelievable. Border encounters up 71%. It's only 31,000 March of last year, 172,000 this year. I mean, what are they going to do to fix it? What are they going to do? I mean, then you look at the infrastructure disaster. Then you look at all the higher taxes that are coming. Then you look at the boycott based on the Jim Crow 2.0 lie of Joe Biden and the impact that's having. There's a study out now that shows National Association of Manufacturers we're going to lose one million jobs in the first two years of of Joe Biden's tax hikes. Weekly jobless claims higher than expected. By the way, there's a zero hedge piece about how there's no job seekers because people are just accepting the money the government keeps giving them. I think there should be on a need basis for such help. There are people that need help. I love New York State creates a $2 billion fund, $2 billion for the state to give to give illegal immigrants. Get this fund is offering one time payments of up to fifteen thousand six hundred dollars. New York State is offering to illegal immigrants. It's an awful lot of money to take from the taxpayers of New York and the rest of the country that just bailed out New York vis-a-vis the emergency COVID relief billions that went to New York. Unbelievable. James O'Keefe, major court decision, New York Supreme Court. They move forward with discovery, depositions against the New York Times. And we'll have full coverage of that when we come back. Get a lot of your calls in on this Friday, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. We got an amazing Hannity, 9 Eastern tonight. Quick break, hour two on this Friday edition, Sean Hannity Show, coming up. 
right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, toll free. It's 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. So we have these new pictures, and I've, I've told you my sources that briefed me now some time ago, and I've reinforced what I've learned as it relates to Hunter Biden's laptop, which he's been saying in interviews, I have no idea if they're mine, then why did his lawyers go to the the app, the Mac repair shop guy uh, owner and ask him, uh, yeah, can we have Hunter's laptops back, please? By that point, they've been handed over to the FBI. Why nothing has happened to this point is beyond mysterious to me. Um, we saw pictures, new pictures, two of a sexual nature uh, from the laptop revealed. And one looked like what they call meth mouth. When you use a lot of drugs, it destroys your teeth. And a picture that was on the laptop is also apparently, you know, thousands of text messages, including to Joe Biden himself, who thinks that he was probably being spied on. Anyway, it's really the laptop from hell. The Daily Mail published the photos of Hunter, you know, apparently with women um, one time, two at a time. And then it should shock those the conscience of people. I've been told that there's a lot more on there. I've even been told by my lawyers that based on what I my sources tell me could be on there, that likely is on there. Now, we've confirmed from people who've seen it on there that I can't even take possession of it without possibly being in violation of a crime. That's a true story. Now, the Daily Mail has a quote out there, more to come, which seems to imply that they've got the entire laptop, which would mean that maybe finally some of this information will come to light. We'll have to wait. We'll have to watch. We'll have to see. Anyway, um, in the great state of Ohio, if you listen to what happened with the laptop, what did they say? They said, well, uh, 18 uh, agencies think that it was likely um, the Russians. It's probably the Russians. That was another one of Hunter's excuses that, that could have altered or, or stolen or hacked into the, the laptop and put all these pictures of Hunter up there and videos of Hunter up there and text messages with Joe up there. Um, this blame Russia, blame Russia nonsense is getting old because that was the lie told for three years to the country. There never was any Trump-Russia collusion. The only Russian collusion in 2016 was Hillary Clinton paying for a dirty Russian dossier full of misinformation that was then used, as unverifiable as it was, to uh, lie to a FISA court and premeditated fraud committed on a FISA court to then spy on a candidate and then a president named Donald Trump. But anyway, with that said, Democrats love to talk about Russian interference, except when it's about Hillary and when it's about Hunter's laptop or any other excuse that they want to make. Now, in the great state of Ohio, they have a system that is so sound because they're able to literally audit the paper trail associated with every single solitary vote. In other words, they have in Ohio and other states are now making changes to election laws. So I think the timing is appropriate. They they offer another level of security, which every American should want. If you believe in in the integrity of our vote and want confidence in an election's outcome and how crucial voter confidence would be for the entire country. Now, the Ohio secretary of state said that he's aggressively opposes Americans casting ballots via mobile devices. This is now an idea that has been floated 
believe it or not, by Apple and say, well, you should be able to vote from your phone. Okay, that's really dumb because the level of potential for cheating and corruption is is limitless. The dumbest idea I think I've ever heard. Anyway, Frank LaRosa joins us, Secretary of State for Ohio. Explain this system that you have that has this extra level of security in terms of being able to audit the paper trail associated with every vote. Yeah, Sean, Tim Cook is pretty good at running a technology company, but he should leave election security to to the experts uh, like our bipartisan elections officials here in Ohio. What we do is, first of all, our voting machines are never connected to the Internet, not allowed to be. It would be a violation of law to connect a voting machine to the Internet in Ohio. And then we can audit the results of our elections because there is a 100 percent paper trail. Every ballot ever cast in Ohio has a hard copy paper trail. And we do that after the election, go back and audit uh, in every county, every one of our 88 counties. And in December of last year, we returned an accuracy rate of 99.98%. That's why Ohioans know when they go to bed on election night, they can trust that their voice was heard in a fair and honest election. You know, the the thing is, and this is what I keep saying, with states that, for example, have statutory language that says partisan observers are to observe the vote count from start to finish, that didn't happen this election in 2020. When you have two separate standards uh, for signature verification or voter ID like they did in Georgia based on a consent agreement, one very lax standard for mail-in balloting and one very rigid standard for in-person voting. That's not fair to everybody. You need one standard. This new law that is everyone's been lying about that led by Joe Biden, which led the MLB to pull out the all-star game. That was all based on a lie it's not Jim Crow 2.0. It's a fairer system that's in the state of Delaware by a long shot. And it's much more fair than even New York. And it's more fair than Colorado, where the all-star game is headed. But nobody took the time to inform themselves. So I guess my next question is, if in fact they ever brought up this insane idea of Mr. Cook uh, to go forward with voting by iPhone, would that not lend itself to the biggest possibility of fraud and abuse than any other system I can think of? Oh, absolutely. And listen, even if the technology were terrific, and maybe someday it'll be there with multi-factor authentication and blockchain and whatever else, the public confidence has to be there as well. And so until every American knows and believes that it's an honest and trustworthy process, you just can't move forward with it. Uh, And that's why voting on iPhones or any other Internet-connected devices, not on my watch in Ohio, certainly. Well, not everybody has an iPhone. Sorry, Mr. Cook, to break that to you, but not everybody has it. Let me let me move on and ask on an, on another level here in terms of, you know, look, a state like Ohio, we get the results. We have them in. The voters counted on the night of the election. There's never a, a question about voter integrity or having confidence in the results. We had problems in Florida in 2000 and problems in 2016. Those problems were resolved by Governor Ron DeSantis. And we had the results early on election night in 2020. And then you look at what happened in Georgia. Then you see the Constitution of Pennsylvania was completely ignored and bypassed because the Constitution's clear about mail-in balloting with rare exceptions. That was not followed. Then you look at uh, the, the law in states like Wisconsin and Michigan. Those laws weren't followed. I mean, so I, isn't it an obligation of the states to clean this up? And wouldn't H.R. 1, S.R. 1 basically 
take away the constitutionally defined role of state legislatures if it's passed? Oh, absolutely. Not only is it unconstitutional, but it's unworkable. It would release all kinds of chaos into the system, which if the supporters of H.R. 1 say they're for greater participation rates, and of course we all want to see every citizen participate in elections. That's a hallmark of American democracy. But really, if you had H.R. 1 passed, it would result in all kinds of chaos, which ultimately causes people to not want to vote. That's why here in Ohio, we know that we've got a good system of running elections. Other states are looking at Ohio as an example. I testified in the Pennsylvania legislature just a couple weeks ago. That's how it should happen. State houses all around the country should be looking at how they make their elections more secure, more accessible, and uh, fairer for everybody involved, but it shouldn't happen from Washington, D.C. Am I right when I tell this audience that statutory language that allows partisan observers to uh, observe the count start to finish, that that didn't happen in many states this year? Am I right to say that? You know, I think that there are many states where that didn't happen. I know that in Ohio, that's a bedrock principle of how we run things. In fact, even uh, our boards of elections are 100 percent bipartisan. It takes a Republican and a Democrat nearly to screw in a light bulb at a county board of elections in Ohio. And that's, you know, it's that trust but verify thing, the old Reagan model. That's how we keep it honest. And was I right? You've been involved in the Pennsylvania case. You recently testified before some of the legislatures, uh, legislators. Uh, am I right in saying that their constitution uh, was bypassed by that state law? Well, what happens is activist lawsuits in the month of September. That's the thing that people should always be on the lookout for. That's where the real problem comes in. And uh, when some judge somewhere decides that uh, they're going to listen to the ACLU instead of the state legislature and just change the laws arbitrarily at the last minute, leads to a lot of problems. We fought that in Ohio. We won. Our attorney general and I went to bat. We won all of our lawsuits. But in some cases, they sat down and cut a deal It was crisis opportunism saying, oh, well, there's a pandemic, so we need to ignore what the state legislature said. Really shameful. So the bottom line is that there is a a system that is foolproof that can ensure all the integrity everybody deserves and 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 instill confidence in everybody in the result. And it's being done in Ohio every election year and that every other state that might have problems has a lot to learn from Ohio. Is that a fair statement? I think it's fair. There's nothing foolproof. As long as there are humans involved, there's always an opportunity for human error or mistakes to get made. But the good news is with the Ohio system, it's resilient, and we can catch those problems, and we prosecute for it. When somebody commits election fraud in Ohio, it's exceedingly rare. But when it happens, we prosecute for it, and that's something that we don't take lightly. All right, i got to give you a lot of credit. Frank LaRose, thank you so much, Secretary of State uh, of the great state of Ohio. Thank you, sir. Quick break, more your calls, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. James O'Keefe, by the way, big win against the New York Times at the bottom of this half hour. And back to our busy phones. All right, Sharon is in North Dakota. Hey, Sharon, how are you? Glad you called. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Actually, I moved from North Dakota, and I'm in Lehigh Valley area, the the, the state of Pennsylvania now. And are you happy with your move? Um, I like where I am. I like the church I'm going to, and I like my job. That's it. You go to the <laughs> same church as Linda? Linda lives pretty close to you. Oh, really? No, I'm in Emmaus. Oh, okay. Well, thank yeah. you for calling. What's on your mind today? So um, I've called them before, and I'm just going to keep saying the same thing. We need to get boots on the ground, 
get people talking, legislation, things like that. People, councilmen, you know, people need to talk to people and teach people truth, you know, what this is really about. Instruction, you know. Well, instruction specifically on what? Specifically on what's really going on, what um, Democrats say, for instance, feeding Black America the lie, right? And why not deal with truth and just give people truth, right, so they can make a decision. But if they only have a lie, 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 then they can't find the truth, right? Look at, for example, we've been showing all these images of all of these kids living in Biden's cages down at the border in the middle of a pandemic. And if this were a daycare center, the owners and operators would probably be handcuffed and taken to jail for the unsanitary and inhumane conditions and abuse that goes on there. And yet nobody seems to care if you're a Democrat. Nobody in the media seems to want to pay attention to it unless you're watching shows like mine. Um you know, the media has no problem, Joe, lying about falling down. They have no problem when they lie about, well, this is COVID emergency relief and it's not. Well, this is infrastructure right. when it's not. Um, right. So you know, the only thing I can say is, and, and, there's, and then that heads into cancel culture. Okay, now if I but, tweet out everything that I say on my radio program, I'm going to be canceled on Twitter. I just don't spend my time on Twitter. Remember? Or, Remember when we were, I'm 63, so I remember I knew the name of the cop where I lived in New York because I grew up in New York in Harlem, so I knew who it was. They knew us. They knew our parents. That That is gone away, right? And so we Oh, have yeah, they knew, they knew Mr. Hannity really well, unfortunately for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, well, but what I'm saying is that we have to get back to talking to people. Each one, reach one. We We can't just rely on social media for everything. You have to talk to people. You have the conversation. Why do you feel the way you do? Like Kim Klasick and Candace Owens, you know, you, you have to sit down and talk to people and have the conversation and go back and forth, go back and forth with them. That's how you're going to change the mindset. That's the only way. TV is not going to do it. Watching the news or it's not going to do it. Here's where I get my information from websites I trust. I'm not going to give you the long list of them, but Hannity.com is one. Um, I, I do like FoxNews.com. And, and there's a whole host of I'm going to miss people and I don't want to give a list. And then it's going to not exclude people that deserve to be listed. But you'll find the Daily Caller does a good job. There's so many of them. And I just urge people to find them. Anyway, Sharon, Bye. thank you. Glad you called. Wish you the best. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. Happy Friday. Glad you're with us. Uh, We'll get to your calls here in a second. I want to update you on something. We often feature the hard work, um, the undercover reporting, the exposés, investigative reporting of Project Veritas. And a a group founded by and led by the CEO is, uh, as everyone knows, James O'Keefe. James O'Keefe comes under constant, never-ending, nonstop fire uh, there have been more lawsuits, attempts to silence, cancel, shut down his operation. And the untold story here is that every single time that these accusations are made against his organization, 
or they've they've tried to take Project Veritas to court. That's just another tactic of trying to silence people. They've won. They've never once lost a, a lawsuit against them. Now it's actually gone in a different direction. Now, a major, major win in the New York Supreme Court concerning the group Project Veritas and their defamation lawsuit against the New York Times. Now, we're paying particularly close attention to this because I have my own personal issues with the New York Times and them lying about me repeatedly. Anyway, so they have sufficient evidence, according to the court, that the Times might have been motivated by actual malice and acted with reckless disregard in several posts hitting the group's work. Now, what's a 16-page decision got very little coverage in the mob and the media. The New York Supreme Court Justice Charles Wood ruled against the paper's motion to dismiss and found that Project Veritas had shown sufficient evidence that the New York Times were motivated by actual malice and reckless disregard. Now, this is the high standard we've talked about in the past of a landmark Supreme Court case, Times v. Sullivan. Uh, And anyway, it had to do with several articles written by their reporters And this now will allow Project Veritas access to discovery. That means they can see internal emails, internal text messaging and other matters that might have come up, uh, which can be extremely difficult for this news organization. I might add, I would not be shocked if The New York Times tries to settle this as a means of preventing this this now discovery. It means that they will now be able to put the reporters under oath where they will be forced to answer their questions back by whatever emails they have and whatever text messages they have or whatever signal messages they have. And the decision said the court finds documentary proof and the facts alleged by Project Veritas are sufficient to meet its burden. This burden is ridiculously high. And if you're a public figure like I am, I got to be honest, I think it's it's grossly unfair because people can pretty much write and say anything they want about me because I'm a public figure and I don't have the means to sue uh, when it's clear that the facts in the case are false because you have to prove malice. That is a very high bar. But anyway, without getting in the weeds here or making it about me, the facts submitted indicate that, in fact, uh, that there's more than the standard garden variety media bias and support a plausible inference of real malice. There is a substantial basis in law to proceed to permit the plaintiff to conduct discovery and then to attempt to meet the higher standard of proving liability through clear and convincing evidence of actual malice. I mean, this is a this this is a devastating piece. Now, Jonathan Turley weighed in on this and he said this is the the latest hit for The New York Times following a win from former Alaskan Republican Governor Sarah Palin. Having two such losses for the New York Times in the defamation area is ironic, given its role in establishing the precedent under Times versus Sullivan, the New York Times versus Sullivan. Um, Anyway, the president, former President Trump, has weighed in on this. And here's what he said. We congratulate Project Veritas on their big win on the New York Times. Now the suit will continue. And whatever you can do for their legal defense fund, we're with them all the way. They do incredible work. They find things that nobody would even believe possible. So, James, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. James O'Keefe joins us now. Founder, CEO, Project Veritas. What a lot of people just add one other point to this. Congratulations, first of all. And secondly, it cost a lot of money to get where you got here. 
Sean, it, it sure does. And by the way, what a great uh, summary you just did of all the facts, and that was that was well done on this case in the Supreme Court of the State of New York versus uh, Project By the way, Aaron the Thomas. statute of limitations on my case is not over, James, and I've been watching your case and Sarah Palin's case very closely. Thank you. Thank you. This is a really important thing. I'm glad you're taking the time. Project Veritas versus New York Times Company, historic order. Sean, Yes, it costs a lot of money. It's cost us a quarter million dollars just to get to this phase of the litigation. We've taken on the New York Times and their army of lawyers, and we've won this historic motion in the state of New York Supreme Court. This judge, uh, Sean, has this is like one of the first times ever, first one of a few plaintiffs in, since uh, uh, the 1960s, that this is unlike the Sarah Palin case, she sued the New York Times over the op-ed page. We sued the New York Times over a news article in the A section, Sean, where they called our voter fraud videos deceptive. They said that we used unnamed sources. We did not. They said that we had no evidence. We did have evidence. So we sued them, Sean, and judge in this historic 16-page uh, order has said that it was the New York Times that acted deceptively, that they used misinformation by putting their opinions in a news article. And, Sean, perhaps the craziest thing about what the New York Times wrote in their legal defense motions is they said that it was a, quote, get this, New York Times said it was, quote, unverifiable expressions of opinion, unquote, when they wrote this stuff about me, saying that I was deceptive in disinformation campaign, and the judge was having none of it. The judge said to the New York Times, no, you guys engaged in disinformation. Now, we've won this. That means we get to go through discovery. Hardly ever happened before. We're going to conduct videotaped, under oath depositions of New York Times employees and their, hopefully their top guy, Dean Baquet, who is the editor of the New York Times. They are required by law to answer our questions. It's historic. And I think, Sean, just like you, other people are coming out saying, hey, maybe I should sue the New York Times now. You know, I, and I'm going to be very, very blunt here. One of the one of the factors that only gives me slight hesitancy, it's not the money. It's the amount of time and energy that it takes away from my day jobs. And I and I'm being very blunt here. I have to factor in how much time, how much how much bandwidth do I have on any given day beyond doing this radio show to the best of my ability every day and Hannity, the TV show, to the best of my ability every night. And I hate taking time and energy and resources away from what I'm dedicated to, which is my day job. That's my honest answer as to why there's been any hesitancy in me whatsoever, because like you, I believe that 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 bar has been met of actual malice and things that they have written and said about me. And it's it's not an easy decision you've made because uh, I've been I'm 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 kind of I'm I'm juggling this back and forth in my head. And I'm like so happy for you. And I'm looking at this that this needs to actually keep happening. So I'm torn. Does that make sense? Well, and then not only does it make sense, I've heard, I was talking to Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, that's the satirical website, and he's flirting to sue the New York Times for defamation. There's been a lot of people that have reached out to me, because this is, as far as I know, the first person in modern history that has done this against the news section. Sarah Palin did it against the op-ed section. And what I would say to you is that I hear what you're saying. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. Project Veritas is actually flirting with our own illegal division because we've won every lawsuit we've litigated, and a lot of lawyers want to work for us now. 
we're actually flirting with potentially growing part of Veritas to sue the New York Times on behalf of other people uh, who have fact patterns, Sean, like you do, actual malice. And we think that we can get past motion to dismiss on a couple other lawsuits. I do, I do want to take on this fight, Sean. I know a lot of people don't because for whatever reason they're busy, they have other things they need to focus on. But I think the, the, the real win here is the videotaped depositions that are going to occur. Can you imagine? Oh, I can't wait. By the way, I just asked for right, right to first, right or first refusal to air them. Yes, absolutely, Sean. You'll get an exclusive on that, 100%. Well, I'm, so, what I mean what I say, though, because you got to understand, and we all work hard. I mean, we're all dedicated to, I, I know what motivates you. I know what motivates me. Um, I am not in this for fame. I am not in this for fortune. I am not in this. I got into this business not expecting to ever even be successful because I, I am passionate about the country what I believe in politics, and I'm, I've become more so, not less so over time. And what I know is this, and you've experienced this too, when you're involved in, in these litigation matters, whether you're on defense or offense, whatever it happens to be at any given moment, seems like there's a shift show every day in our, our lives. It just takes time away from the business of doing the best shows I can do. And that's hard for me to let go of that. Well, but I would say that it's gotten so bad, and you know this, and, and I hear that, that that's the same thing that I'm feeling. Why well, spend so much time in court? I sued my own insurance company. I've been sued over a dozen times and won. I get it. I understand. But I think that the only way to hold them accountable now is to sue them. They don't, they don't have, they have no shame. They don't care. They print corrections and retractions every day. We, we frame all the retractions. We make videos. They don't care. They're not, they don't care. Dean Baquet of the New York Times called me a loser this week. A loser. This is the head of the New York Times lashing out with ad hominem personal character attacks after we've won. And I think this actual malice deal, if they knowingly lie, if they knowingly lie about people like they did to Ron DeSantis at 60 Minutes, they deserve to be sued. And I will take on that fight. I'd like to see Publix sue from the state of Florida. And and maybe you could have a case where where Governor DeSantis would join in that suit uh, because Publix was smeared. Publix did a, a noble thing for the people of Florida. They did it for free. They didn't charge the state a penny. They did it for the convenience of the people uh, that they serve every day, their customers. And they did it at the request of the Palm Beach County Democratic mayor who told me that on this show. He requested well, Publix, not DeSantis. Well, let me say two things. First of all, this actual malice standard, that means that the statements at 60 Minutes were made with reckless disregard of whether they were false or not. I think Ron DeSantis and Publix can prove that. I think it's – Ron DeSantis even said in his press conference, they knew they were lying. Well, that's the definition of malice. And if they sue, they will get past that motion to dismiss in Florida or in federal court. Well, here's the best well, part, James. Yeah. The, the, the mayor, the Democratic mayor of Palm Beach on this show literally said Ron DeSantis came to us at our request, had a meeting, had to best serve the people in Palm Beach County, gave us a whole host of options, and I chose Publix. And then he spoke with 60 Minutes, the producer of the piece, on the phone for 45 minutes, and none of what he told them 
did they cover, nor did he, they accept his opportunity to go on camera and state the opposite of what the narrative that they had built in their minds is? Well, I mean, listen, I've, I've poll-tested my audience. I say, if the New York Times were to offer me $10 million in an apology and retract the whole article because they said that it was their opinion not actually true, I, 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 I asked, you know, I sent a little tweet out on Instagram. I said, what do you guys think I should do? Should I take the $10 million? Every single person said no. no. Go no. all the way to a jury verdict. Go all the way through discovery. So the real win here is not even a jury, you know, damages. What the real win is the discovery. I, I, I hope if Ron DeSantis or if anyone's listening in Florida, I encourage you, I, I, I'm telling you from experience, you're, you have only one option. You need to sue these people for defamation under the law. They acted in actual malice. It's obvious. The, if you, in the depositions under oath, you ask the reporters, why did you exclude this? And they, they're going to have to tell you under oath on video. And I, I think more people are going to be doing this, Sean. I, when, when does your statute of limitations expire on your on your phone? Uh, Linda, when is that? I have a lot of time the last time I checked, but... I, I'll be honest, I've been so busy, I just haven't really even had time to think about it. And um, But I, I'm watching and cheering from the sidelines here because I know what these people do. I live it every day. I, and like you, there comes a point where you just get sick of it, you're tired of getting lied about, you're smeared, slandered, besmirched, um, and they know what they're doing, and they don't care, and they've never been held accountable. This this is a landmark case. Um, I, I applaud you and your efforts, and it is it is much more difficult than people, I think, understand. But um, this is going to get very interesting now moving forward, both your case and, and Governor Palin's case. Yes, thank you for highlighting it. Uh, ProjectVeritas.com, we're a nonprofit. Make a donation. It's a historic case, and we'd like to, uh, we, we're going to keep fighting, and we're going to win. All right, thank you, James O'Keefe. Fascinating issue. I also think we should have loser pays. I also think that you shouldn't have to prove malice and that if th that there ought to be retractions as prominent as where they place the original stories uh, and apologies. Quick break, right back. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. All right, news roundup, information overload hour. Your call's coming up for most of this hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Now, we're beginning to pay attention to who the possible candidates will be in these important Senate races coming up for 2022. I mean, you're looking at Florida, Ohio, Georgia, North Carolina, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, Arizona. I mean, every one of these races is going to matter. Another one in the great state of Alaska. And uh, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw, well, that's not true. I did kind of believe it, is a lot of people like myself have been beyond frustrated with Rhino Lisa Murkowski. Uh, there is a challenger, a Republican challenger. Her name is Kelly, Kelly Chewbacca, and she's got a new campaign out there, ad out there, and it's pretty phenomenal. And she's got a 15-point lead over Lisa Murkowski. Listen. Lisa Murkowski, well, her background is just a little different than mine. Lisa's dad was a powerful governor. Before that, he was in the United States Senate for 20 years. Lisa wasn't originally elected to the Senate. She didn't have to fight for it. Her dad gave her the seat he was elected to. She's been in that same seat for 20 years. That means there's been a Murkowski in the Senate since 1981. So what has she been doing in Washington, D.C.? 
Well, she's been voting with all of those DC insiders, especially the liberal ones. And she's been hurting our way of life. She's become more like them than us. You know, she supported Joe Biden for president and his radical agenda to stop oil and gas development, killing Alaska jobs. So now our economy just continues to suffer while DC just treats us like it's National Park Playground. She voted to allow illegal immigrants who violated laws to come into our country and stay here. She voted against common sense judges who would protect and preserve our constitutional rights. She was even the deciding vote in keeping Obamacare. The result, higher healthcare costs and fewer healthcare choices for too many Alaskans. So Kelly Chewbacca now leads Murkowski by double digits uh, in the race for this, what's going to be an open Senate seat or a seat up in 2022. And Chewbacca now, former Alaska Department of Administration Commissioner, up by 15 points. She joins us now. Uh, Kelly, thank you for being with us. How are you? I'm great, Sean. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I want you to know I'm the. it's one of the few states I've never been to. I think actually now the only one, to be honest. Yeah, you got to get up here. It's I the know. Best state in the nation. <laughs> well, I, but the thing is, is like I'm the biggest Alaska survivalist, you know, life below zero fan that you've ever <laughs> met and deadliest catch fan you've ever met uh, as they go crabbing in those in those dangerous waters off the coast of Alaska. Um, but anyway, I saw I love the the independent spirit. I love people that live off the grid. I'm fascinated how they do it. I don't particularly like the cold as much as maybe some of your neighbors up there. But that's a that's a side <laughs> issue. But I love the spirit of the people of Alaska. We recently had the governor on. I love how you share that you look at the natural resources in Alaska as being owned by the people of Alaska and they often, you don't pay state income taxes, you get a check from the state. Uh, now, because of these restrictive laws that Joe Biden, or not even laws, but executive orders, it's going to directly, negatively impact the people of Alaska. And Lisa Murkowski has not been somebody that's been willing to lead on, on pretty much anything. You know, that's right. The way you describe Alaska is how all of us Alaskans see it. My parents moved up here when Alaska was prosperous. They came looking for opportunity. We Alaskans know it as a land of opportunity. Um, my dad was a union electrician. He'd served in Vietnam. My mom was one of the Alaskans who helped Prudhoe Bay start up. It's one of our largest oil fields. And, um, you know, they were even homeless for a while. Life hasn't been easy for them. But they lived out the American dream up here because that's who we are as Alaskans. They, they fought their way into the middle class. And I fought to be the first in our family to pursue a college degree. Um, but that's not what Alaska is anymore, Sean. In the last 20 years or so, the amount of time that Lisa Murkowski has been our senator, Alaska has really declined. Um, just as we talked about, she's sided with those D.C. insiders, and she's made votes that have really hurt our way of life. And there is a fire in the heart of a lot of us Alaskans to rebuild our state and to make it that state that I grew up in, the one that my parents moved to. We feel forgotten by Lisa Murkowski. We know what those D.C. insiders think about us, but we are looking for a new generation Alaska conservative like me, someone who's pro-Second Amendment, pro-business, pro-life, who believes in America first and who's not a pushover, who's not going to fold to those D.C. insiders, who's going to stand up to the Biden administration and fight for Alaska. That's what I want to do in the Senate. How has Lisa Murkowski, though, survived this long? I'm, I'm kind of surprised. And I understand that the system of, of electing a senator is unique in Alaska. Why don't you walk people through that? 
We have a new system right now. We just passed a proposition that will have a general election as our primary and a general election as our final election. So it will be ranked choice all the way through. Alaskans will decide our election. I think Lisa Murkowski has survived as our senator because... I don't think most people understand what ranked choice is. Maybe explain it. Uh, It just means that instead of having a primary by party, where Republicans will choose their candidate and Democrats will choose theirs, and then it goes to a final election, we have a general election where everybody competes against each other in the primary and in the final election. And so in the final election, they'll rank their ballots, uh, candidates one, two, three, and four as the primary. And then the final contestants, will, the top-ranked ones, will go off to the general election. And again, Alaskans will rank them, and whoever gets the majority vote at the end will win. Um, it's fascinating to me that this early out that you have a 15-point lead, I, I really don't imagine that lead eroding. Now, I don't, I, and it doesn't really matter to me. I don't think Alaskans are going to be influenced heavily by a big spending campaign. I mean, what's Lisa Murkowski going to run on? Is she going to run on the fact that she opposed conservative uh, originalists and constitutionalists to the court? Is she going to is she going to run on the idea that she voted to impeach Donald Trump? I mean, what's she going to run on? Alaskans are smart enough to realize Lisa Murkowski's for the politicos and I'm for the people. And that's why even this early on, while she's got 40 years of name recognition on me between her dad and her having held that seat, they know that seat doesn't belong to someone who has the last name Murkowski. That seat belongs to Alaska. So even though the D.C. insiders are supporting her, the Senate Leadership Fund has backed her. We know that that seat belongs to Alaska. Alaskans know I'm for opportunity. The Biden administration is for oppression. They're oppressing our oil and gas jobs. They're oppressing our Second Amendment rights. They're oppressing Alaska sovereignty. They're oppressing our military support right now when we need national security strength. Lisa Murkowski supports the Biden administration. The Biden administration does not support Alaska. We need opportunity in Alaska. We need oil and gas jobs. We need our Second Amendment rights. We need our sovereignty. We need to support our military. We love our military up here. Lisa Murkowski cannot, cannot campaign on a, on a platform of oppression of Alaska. We need opportunity in Alaska, and that's what Alaska is going to vote for. Well, we're going to follow this race very, very close, uh, closely. Kelly uh, Chewbacca, thank you so much for being with us, and congratulations on that poll. Uh, we really appreciate you being with us. I appreciate it. And people can find out more about us at Kelly, F-O-R, for AK.com. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate it. All right. We'll stay on it and we're going to follow it throughout the uh, campaign. It's early, but that's a big number to be ahead by. Uh, quick break. We'll hit the phones when we get back. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this program? All right. Let's get to our phones for the rest of this Friday. Christy is in Midland, Texas. Hey, Christy, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. I'm a second-generation listener to talk radio. Wow. Thanks. Thank you. So back in March of 2009, my best friend, my brother, my girl's uncle, was shot and killed in the line of duty. I'm so sorry. That's awful. He was the absolutely most pure-hearted person I've ever known in my life. He dedicated his life to helping others, and he never asked for anything in return. All this media coverage over the George Floyd case is... It's just putting our police back in the limelight. Our men and women of blue have suffered through so much aggravation over the people they're trying to protect that putting him back on the map and back in the media is just putting our officers back in danger. The media has made it to where this 
they're putting one man out of many in history who have been killed by a police officer, whether it was let, a just killing or an unjust killing. Let, let me just say this, because we saw what this one incident resulted in. And that was even though Joe Biden didn't admit it and Kamala supported the rioters with the bail fund and it led to, you know, defunding the police and it led to rioting and it led to 3000 plus cops injured with rocks and, and bottles and bricks and Molotov cocktails and everything we talked about. They denied that it was even happening. And, you know, police precincts burned to the ground and. Uh, blocks of, of neighborhoods literally taken over by by radical extremists and uh, even police precincts taken over by the radicals. And we saw what happened. You know, I want to be very clear here, because even during the height of all of this Russia, 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 when we were exposing deep corruption and premeditated fraud on a FISA court on four separate occasions and you know, just outright lying and, and the entire process corrupted at the very top. I, I went out of my way because I thought it was important, Christy, to, to point out that the 99 percent of brave men and women in the FBI do a very dangerous job and they have ethics and, and morals and integrity. And I have confidence in them. And it's amazing. One percent goes bad. And, and I did, never wanted that 99 percent tainted because of the actions of a few at the top, you know, exactly. you know, I, I've, I've made my arguments as it relates to the officer in the Floyd case based on my watching the video and my knowledge of police training and my knowledge of martial arts as a student of eight years. Uh, and I mean, a serious student. This is not this is not a hobby for me. And right. I've, I've articulated them to people. I, no need to repeat them anymore. But the jury's going to do what they do. And but it's have, have police suffered as a result of people. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the stereotyping of cops. Yeah, it's unfair because right. let me tell you, I'm there's, watching there's these cops in bad. New York doused with water, watching their cars overturned and, and vandalized and watching them hit with rocks and bottles and bricks. It's awful. And how many of those how many of those cases of police officers deaths are we going to see the media report on? How many of those deaths of officers is, is the national media going to going to show us? I can tell you right now, my brother's shooter, an oil filled tycoon with money and title. He's never going to have national news in his trial. And, and here's George Floyd, who before this incident was only known on the streets as is a drug dealer or a drug user or a criminal is getting national media. All His name is all over this country. Everyone knows who he is. But yet those officers who died saving lives, protecting the people of this nation, will never have their accuser see the national media. We have talked at length about the number of officers killed over these many years, like your brother. And it is it's heartbreaking. Look, everybody, I always say this about police officers and, and good teachers, not these crazy teachers unions that don't even want to show up and work uh, at this particular time and their unions support them. But the good teachers, the ones that transform people's lives and are dedicated to their profession, uh, good ministers, you know, those that that really are faithful to what they teach and preach and, and live by example, um, those people or, or doctors or nurses or first responders, firemen, policemen, 
I have found in my life that everyone that chooses any of these professions, they choose it because it's a calling. It's not because they want fame. They're not do, you're not becoming a cop to get rich. Right. You're just right. not. You, but every cop I know dreamed of becoming a cop. And, yes. uh, and I even thought at one point in my life I wanted to be a police officer. And I was even appointed to the academy in New York uh, NYPD. And I decided last minute, I don't know why, I said, eh, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> and, you know, I guess things worked out okay. But honestly, I admire them so much. And it's unfair that they are, if one bad cop taints the entire profession or one cop, you the know. the world takes it out on all of them. And they, they take it out on all of them. And it's, it's been, listen, let's be blunt. It's been open season on cops now. Oh, and I'm afraid for all of them. And I know cops because I talk to them. And my advice to them is be careful. My advice mm-hmm. to them, that they're, they're not as proactive as they once were when they want to be for the genuine, real fear of consequences if they do their job even perfectly. They're right. concerned. And I don't blame them. And then there's an effort in New York, believe it or not, to take away any liability protections that the city would give them. No. There's no cop that's going to be able to defend themselves in court without without indemnity by the city. It's impossible. It's unaffordable. They have to know that they're being supported by the people they are protecting if the situation comes into play. Yeah, well said. Well, listen, I'm sorry you lost your brother. Uh, Our thoughts and prayers are with him, with you, your family, and and with all these good cops that go out every day to protect and serve all of us they deserve our thanks Uh, it's harder than ever thank you you. we'll continue all right 25 to the top of the hour your calls for this half hour we got to replay first though our our buddy joe pags did our version i had this idea i think on wednesday had it joe pags gave it to us yesterday we played it once yesterday i'm going to play it again today you know the song new york new york frank sinatra you know start spreading the news I'm leaving today. Don't want to be a part of it. New York, New York. Cuomo's abuse. COVID's here to stay right through the very heart of it. New York, New York. Don't want to wake up in a city run by that creep. I'll soon go over the hill and leave this trash heap. Oh, man. De Blasio blows. Upward that crime goes. I played this for a friend of mine that's so defensive. It's like a New York City nut. Loves it. Just can't get. I'm like, you're going to be paying more, the highest taxes in the world in, in about two months. And I don't care. I'm like, I do. Anyway, let's play it. Courtesy of our buddy Joe Peggs. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today Don't want to be a part of it New York, New York Cuomo's abuse COVID's here to stay Right through the very heart of it New York, New York Don't want to wake up In a city run by that creep I'll soon go over the hill Leave this trash heap De Blasio blows Up 
words that crime goes. Bad guys run every part of it, like old New York. I'll get right out of there, take my family. Six feet deep, and find I might be carjacked. Central Park attacked. Taxes, I'm pleased. They don't like police. Man, are they on crack? Bring the apple back. I gotta hit that busy throughway out of New York. Yeah, if I can get out of there, away from the mean streets glare, you are all done. All right, spreading the news. Don't want to wake up in a city run by that creep. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program? Uh, Michelle is in North Carolina. Hey, Michelle, how are you? Glad you called. Hey, I'm doing great, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. I completely agree with the caller in front. We need to have um, community conversations, and that needs to start with education. And I think we have a perfect way to educate everybody as Joe Biden keeps bringing up Jim Crow whenever we discuss having voter ID. And, I, you know, he really should know about it because it's the Democrats that actually wrote the Jim Crow laws. It's the Democrats that fought tooth and nail not to ever allow segregation to be ended. And it's the Democrats who are continuing this lie that any minority is too stupid to use a computer and they're too dumb to figure out how to get a photo ID. And what we need to let everybody know is Jim Crow laws were not just to keep people out of jobs or out of restaurants or out of certain neighborhoods. Their intention also was to keep guns out of the hands of every minority citizen. See, let me, let me gently disagree with you. I don't think they're thinking people are stupid. I think what they oh, want no. is a system that allows them to cheat. And they figure yeah. there's more if there's no voter ID and you don't have signature verification, that then lends itself to opportunity for them to do things that are nefarious. Therein lies why they're lying about the Georgia law, which is far more inclusive with far, far more opportunities to vote for and participate by everybody than Joe's home state of Delaware. Well, and I completely agree. That is their motive. Their motive is to continue to steal elections exactly. like they did in 2020. But also what I'm saying is people don't understand that the entire system, it, it, I mean, we've had out of Joe's mouth statements 
like, well, black people can't figure out how to use the internet, you know, so they're at a disadvantage. And what I'm saying is, this is the same thing. They, this is, they want to keep us divided so that they can conquer us. And they're, they're doing a really good job. Look at critical. Well, let me just, I have, I've got to run because I'm on a break here, but let me just finish with this is remember, this is their playbook every two and four years. I just say to anybody, how have, how have their policies worked for law and order? How have they worked for education? How did that Obamacare thing work out? Because they lie. And the lie is then never fulfilled. We say hi, Joe, Fort Worth, Texas. What's up, Joe? How are you, sir? Hey, doing well, Sean. Longtime listener. Uh, I really feel for Christine or her brother that was just on the show. Oh, terrible, uh, right? Retired, terrible. Uh, retired law enforcement here taught the defensive tactics. Been doing martial arts for over 26 years, so well-versed in it. I, I agree with you on 99.9% of everything you said. And uh, with, you know, uh, the officer and, and Mr. Floyd, he should have been put in a, what we call rescue or recovery position well into the, the time he was on the ground. Uh, they should have uh, administered first aid uh, quite a bit sooner. Those are facts. I mean, that's just what you can see from uh, you, you can't dispute those. Uh, I, I do have an issue. I know you talk about just uh, – using a two finger technique and it would have, you make it seem like that that officer would have been able to control Mr. Floyd with just two fingers. And I think that's a false perception to put out there because that's, that's if someone could feel that pressure, right? Pressure points and techniques are used and manipulation of joints are used on the assumption that someone's going to feel that. But if you're under the uh, introduction of, uh, you know, a narcotic or uh, methamphetamine. Well, in this fentanyl. case, fentanyl and, and fentanyl. I believe if my memory serves me right, methamphetamine, yeah. So, and especially addicts, you're actually taught that uh, in defensive tactics, use of force situations. Now it's response to resistance, but you're you're taught, you know, drugs and, ad, and especially people who suffer from addiction or have those issues, uh, they may not feel that. So what you're doing may not work. And there's what we talk about transition points and things to, you know. Well, look, you, you could try. You could try. You could. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you on the on the point. Um, he did feel enough pain that he was communicating it to the officer. I can't breathe. Please, sir. Please, sir. I mean, he was being very compliant at that point, and he is in restraint. So you could try a Kardashian wrist lock, which I'm sure you're very well aware of. Um, and my experience has been any time like I kid around with my friends, my friends, you know, it's funny. My kids used to make fun of me. When I started out eight years ago doing martial arts, they made fun of their dad. They were laughing. They don't laugh anymore because I start, you know, messing around, especially with my son. He's like, all right, all right, dad. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. That's what you get. And in handcuffs, at least you'd have the opportunity to try a couple of those moves, things that you're probably familiar with. Usually you're yeah. right. Uh, with painkillers, it might be hard, but I have found even people in conditions where maybe you'd think they don't feel it, they don't feel that. And usually, you know, the feeling when people go, ah, 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 okay, 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 the, that reaction. Yeah. Look, I completely understand. And that's honestly a natural reaction that happens. And that's in a controlled environment. But, and, and honestly, well, at that I point, I, I argue it was controlled. He was not resesting it, at that point, no, and he I, was in handcuffs. 
what, what I'm saying is you're, you're doing it to your kid. You're in an environment, maybe in the gym, out on the mat. What I'm saying is you're not, you're not taking into consideration. The, no, I do it in the, the kitchen. Factors. I'll do it in his bedroom. I'll do it wherever yeah. I feel like it. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But what I'm, what I'm talking about is the uh, factors of narcotics, the factors that some people don't feel pain manipulation. It's a very valid uh, point. I'm not disagreeing. And, but you, it, it's just one of those things you have to make sure that you, you let your listeners know that obviously it's an option. You can try it. But to say that would uh, have helped or uh, got Mr. Floyd into whatever situation is, is kind of a false narrative. You know, he, he was on the ground. Well, there are other options. Let me give you another quick option. Because he's in handcuffs and now he's compliant and he's not resisting anymore, which he had stopped doing. And at that point in time, if he's still not cooperating, getting in a vehicle, now you have the ability to restrain his legs. And he should you know, have had leg restraints on from the moment that he went to the ground. Uh, should correct. Have uh, correct. Each, each one of those squad cars should have been equipped with uh, leg shackles. That should have been the first thing that they do when they come across anybody who is intoxicated in an excited delirium state, who maybe drug induced psychosis. Whatever those, and obviously he was just. And they should have right? called in a van and, in, in, instead of putting him in the back of a, a, a squad car, right. which is far more difficult. They could have had a van open right. both doors, and the five cops that the were easy. there could have simultaneously lifted him and put him in there very safely. The easiest thing to do in those situations is, is that, and they should have had uh, more officers there to if, if he's not being compliant. But at the point is he should have been put in a rescue position. He should have been given the opportunity or what we call a recovery position uh, to relieve any uh, chance of a positional asphyxiation through his uh, you know, upper body uh, to, to limit the oxygen intake or, or breathing. Right, so let me ask you your experience. If I put you in a rear naked choke and I lock it in, how long do you think that you would be conscious? Uh, well, I, I'm actually, I was a lateral vascular neck restraint instructor, so you're anywhere from three to seven seconds, uh, yep. you can go unconscious. The problem is you're not going to uh, put someone in conscious who's restrained in handcuffs. Okay, that's not part of the No, 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 no. I'm not, not saying it is part, but my point is I'm talking Correct. about the sensitivity of the neck and the vulnerability. Correct. I mean, you're talking, what I'm explaining is this is the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy. Police are taught that, and Correct. they know. If I were to make a, if, if God forbid, I find myself in a confrontation and I need to defend myself and in self-defense, a targeted strike to the to the lower jaw into the carotid and I hit it. What are the odds that person falls to the ground? Yeah. And, and that's the, the the issue that that I have. Well, that's a that's a question. You, those, what oh, what yeah, are the yeah, odds if I if that strike targeted strike is is made and I'm trained? What are the odds that person goes straight to the ground? They most likely they will, but you know, in MMA, you know, in fighting, uh, some people take some vicious hits, some don't. Yeah, they can. Agreed. You hit anybody on the button, they'll go out. Uh, it, most officers, I'll tell you right now, uh, do not have the extensive uh, mixed martial arts training to uh, do anything outside of what is uh, a very narrowed policy, honestly, for the actual tactics that they're trained. And a lot of that is your training to uh, the abilities of the people that are there. And it's not a uh, it's easy to add all these other tactics and to say that these options are available. But it's a completely different story to try to implement those into a training program. Um, the fact of the matter is those officers were trained to prevent what happened to George Floyd. And that shouldn't have happened. That's just fact. I don't like to say it, I, I, you know, but we have to hold ourselves accountable and others 
just as much as we hold others accountable. Every um, cop I know they, is angry because they feel like this is 101. They've all been taught what you're describing. And they're all we all know the aftermath of this, and it wasn't good for police. And and there's a level of frustration among cops that, that like this is to them so basic and fundamental. And the options were so varied, as you're describing, in, including if, if for example, a, a Kardashian wrist lock didn't, the pain pills were able to transform him, his ability to even feel it. You know, that then the I, next option, you're right, then they're leg that. restraints. Then you put them in the back of a van. They had so many other options. And to put him in a position where you're not step putting the pressure on that mo- mo- most vulnerable part of the human anatomy. I got to run, though. Uh, I do appreciate what you do every day. And these are important discussions to have. And I want to see cops have additional training and other non-lethal alternatives beyond that stun gun, which I am not a fan of. Because it has to be close quarters. You only get two shots. And if you miss, uh, you know, then you only have one other option. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Now, on the docket for the Democratic Socialist next week, D.C. statehood, the study of packing the Supreme Court, reparations, all on the Democratic Socialist wish list, all coming up next week. We'll have full coverage. Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern, Fox News. We have the border covered. We have all the radicalism of Joe and news you won't get from the media mob. We'll see you tonight at 9. Have a great weekend. Back here Monday. As always, thank you for being with us. 